We are in a series here called Uncommon Community. Uncommon Community. And uh, not just rallying a group of people together, right? That's community. You can have some interaction with human beings. Not that, but uncommon community. Somehow God invested into the middle of it and very unique things happening one to another because of it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And we've been working through what that looks like on several different fronts. Today, we're looking at uh, the title, Submit to One Another. Submit to One Another. And uh, we're actually going to be walking through a passage here. For those who don't know what's going on, we actually have a book we're walking through. It's called Uncommon Community. It's well-named, isn't it? And uh, so we're walking through that book, and our impact groups are all going through those every other week as they jump into a chapter. So they're looking back at different messages we're preaching here, and we're jumping out of each of those chapters. Uh, this morning is one we're pulling out 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, submit to one another. So that's where we're at today, coming right out of that passage. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at three different perspectives to uh, humility or submission. So we got the ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. We're going to walk verse by verse through this section, starting at 1 Peter 5, 5, and uh, looking at some facets to humility or submission. First one, here we go. Uh, others focused. Others willingly place yourself under leadership and humbly interact with all. Willingly place yourself under leadership and humbly interact with all. This is our humility as it goes with others, all right? And so let's jump in, starting in verse 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, Likewise, you, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay, be subject to the elders. And, and so what does this word mean, elders here? Well, we know by looking back at the first four verses, he's actually talking about those who are leading the church, all right? They usually were more seasoned in life. They had experience. They had wisdom. And so they were recognized not only for uh, an age that would show it, but also their ability to express that wisdom. And elders, they were leaders in the church. There was a plurality, that means more than one elder at each church, and they worked together to lead the church, verses 1 through 4. It gives some description of what they should do. It says they should shepherd, like care for the hurts and the needs, and uh, take people from one level in their walk with God to the next upper level, being able to introduce them to the glory of God Almighty and some change. Shepherd, exercise oversight, meaning direct being able to make some decisions about things that need to go down in the church and exercise oversight willingly, eagerly, not domineering, being an example. This is the requirements of those who are called elders. We have seven elders at our church, and I'm on that elder board as well. We have seven elders, and we do walk through this. We take this very seriously, all right? He's talking about the leaders of the church, verses 1 through 4, and then he gets to verse 5, and he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So I guess one of the good news things is if you're not a, an elder, you, you get to call yourself younger no matter what. <laughs> you're like, well, that's a good deal, man. 
And uh, so there is saying some, look, there's some growing in wisdom. This isn't younger just with age. This is younger with wisdom and being able to grow in some of that. This is younger with responsibility, being able to grow in that. But it's like, hey, our job is to make sure that we are subject to the elders. What does that word mean? Subject. Well, I just put uh, to trust and to allow them to lead. Okay? To trust and to allow them to lead. If you break the word down, it literally means to remain under well, to trust and to allow them to lead. The elders carry a load. And uh, I just want to let you know, I love working with the elders of the church. I love working with these guys. They have a passion for Jesus Christ to be glorified. They have a passion for things to go down well in this place. And uh, the beauty is as they carry that load, then the broader body gets to be able to go after a worship and a celebration and a ministry and not have to carry that load. There's a lot that happens in allowing the kind of the buoyancy of this body to be celebratory because of the load that gets carried in that room. And I'll be praying for your elders, man. There's a lot of load that gets carried there. And uh, it says, be subject to the elders. Um, you're like, well, how convenient for you, Tim. You're an elder. And so, I know you're thinking it. It's okay. You're like, come on, seriously. You get to say, be subject to me. How handy for you. Did you pick this verse out yourself? And uh, it was in the book. We're following the book. Trust me, that, that came up in passage, all right? And uh, I just want you to know as I say it, I understand that there's a, at, at one element being able to say, look, you need to uh, be subject to is a big calling. And well, what if we don't think we should be? When shouldn't we be? And uh, it doesn't really talk about that here in the passage. I'm just going to throw this out real quickly. It is not blind submission. You hearing me? It is not blind submission. You do have your eyes and uh, your ears open. You're hearing what's being said. You're following well in that. And, and, you know, if you see where there's a moment where sin comes up, then sin does need, need to be confronted even at the elder level. And uh, 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21 gives the passage on how to do that. Just so you know, it must be sin and there must be multiple witnesses. You hear me? Must be sin, must be multiple witnesses. Why did Paul put that in there? Well, number one, he's working with God and God told him to, right? And, and so God's like, hey, we need to do this. And, and why? Because as you lead the church and as you interact with people and as you try to shepherd someone who's hurting, sooner or later, someone's going to go sideways. And if it takes one to go sideways and all they get to do is make a, a harebrained accusation and the whole thing comes tumbling down, we got a problem. He's like, make sure it's true. Two or more witnesses, all right? That's a big deal. Everybody say, that's a big deal. So it has to be sin with two or more witnesses. It is not preference. Please hear that, right? Well, if I were in charge, I wouldn't have done it that way. I'm busting out. I'm not listening. Like, that's not what it's talking about. Be subject to, and there's some tough calls made, and trust me, half the time, you don't know even a part of some of the information going on out of protection. There's a lot of things going on when we're working behind the scenes with a person or a situation. And, uh, Trust the elders, be praying for the elders, but if you do see sin, then that's where two or more witnesses have to have been around it, really seen it in multiple places playing out, then that can be confronted, all right? Not blind submission, uh, but trusting in God and then leading that way, okay? Enough said on that. Let's move on. Uncomfortable topic. All right. 
Next, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Clothe yourselves. Uh, literally, this is a word that means like tie on, like you would an apron, you know? Like you put it behind you and you'd tie it behind you. It, it's that kind of clothe yourself. Uh, some of yours might say gird yourselves. Um, I don't even know what that word really means. You know what I'm saying? When's the last time you gird yourselves? You talk that way to your kids in the morning? You ready for school, hon? Yeah. Did you gird yourself up? Right? We don't talk that way. It's not a word we use. It's more of a warlike term. In fact, this term here is less, more, it's less military and more just about putting on something that needs to be tied, okay? And to clothe yourselves, all of you. How many? All, man. Not just some. Not just the ones who were just listening and, right? Not the ones who checked out and missed the moment just now. And, no, but all. Every single person in the church has a responsibility to tie on humility. And uh, it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Toward one another. A, a respectfulness for each other. A patience with each other. A kindness. A considering them of value. A humility. In fact, if you go and look in other passages of Scripture, like Ephesians 5, we're called to submit to one another. Have you ever tried to submit to one another? You know, like when you go out for dinner or something, and you're like, no, let me get this. Oh, no, no, let me get this, right? And you're like, no, seriously, let me get this. No, let me get this. When does that thing end? Right? At some point, somebody needs to go, all right, you've got this one, and, and then what comes next? And I got the next, right? And so there's some kind of, there's dancing a little bit that goes on. And all right, fine, then I'll bend this time and then you'll bend next time. And are you hearing it? There's a submitting to one another in that, a working together in humility, a caring for each other. And yes, sometimes you're doing the giving and sometimes you're doing the receiving. And uh, for those of you who are mercy hearts and you love to give, and that's great, I found also that mercy hearts often hate to receive. They're like, no, 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 seriously, I just love to help other people. And sometimes in submitting to one another, we need to let people care for us, all right? And so make sure there's a balance in that and a caring for each other in that. Humility, it's a complex word. We think we know it, and then we can't get it like ever in our lives, right? We keep going after it, and then it seems to blow up. And I just wrote this down, humility. It's a lowliness of perspective caused by properly comparing to Christ, not others. Biblical humility. It's a lowly perspective caused by properly comparing to Christ, not others. See, I look at myself in light of the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. Man, look at who he is. Look at how perfect he is. Look at everything he does. Look at all that he has in hand. That's my God. And, well, in light of that, I come up woefully short, right? Humility, biblical humility, it's knowing your God so well that you recognize your position belongs on your knees, right? Biblical humility. It's not when we look at the guy next to us and try to make the decision. Ah, oh, maybe I'm doing pretty good. Maybe I am awesome. Hang on. Yep, feeling awesome. Right? That's the problem, man. What are we doing? We're walking around and we're trying to compare against each other, not the game plan. Everybody say, not the plan. 
compare against Christ, knowing who He is, seeing Him as in charge. And God does an amazing work in your life as He teaches you humility before Him. We're going to get to that in the second point. Humility, what's it look like? I just wrote a few words down here. Humility. A few things it looks like. Number one, humility. It worships Christ. Cannot say you're humble if you refuse to worship Christ. Not biblical. Not biblical humility. Starts with worshiping Christ. Uh, Gets who he is, understands his value, worships him with all you've got. Number two, uh, values others as Jesus does. Humility. You begin to look at others through the eyes of Christ. You see how Christ is working with them and longing for them and changing in them. And you long to see yourself being a part of whatever Christ is doing. You value others as Christ sees them, okay? Number three, you assist willingly. True humility. It's not checking your watch first. It's, I'm willing. I'm in. It's going to cost me. And uh, I understand that sometimes I may not be available and I need to adjust my calendar, but I'm telling you, my my prayer is, Lord, how can I be made available here? Assist willingly. And a true humility has a sense of service to it. We talked all about that last week, right? And uh, true humility does not put on false fronts. True humility, not interested in hiding what's going on inside, not interested in masking it, not interested in only revealing the good, right? How are you doing today? I'm doing unbelievable. Let me tell you the four ways I've succeeded. I will not tell you the three that I have just failed in. I am only going to tell you how I've succeeded, right? And we begin to only paint one side. We're we're putting up a false front. Be careful. Uh, Omission of the whole story is a problem. We're going to deal with that more in the third point, but omission can get you into a lot of trouble. And uh, You're shading something. You're shaping something. You want them to think a certain way, and so you're telling them this, but you're not telling them that. If if that's where you find yourself, trust me, you are worried more about your look to the exterior than where your heart really is. That's not being humble, okay? We're not dressing up the outside. Lord, take care of the inside. Biblical humility, all right? Now, I wanted to just throw these in as well. Humility. A few things that humility does still get involved in. Humility can still confront sin. You hearing that? Humility can still confront sin. This is a really important one. I can't tell you how many times a year I hear this. Yeah, but I'm trying to be humble, man. I don't want to walk up and tell the guy he's in sin. How is that humble? Well, (laughs) okay. Don't walk up and be like, I so have my act together, what's the matter with you? Okay, that's not humble, right? That's not even biblical confrontation of sin, right? So biblically confronting sin isn't like, I've got my act together, how about you? Biblical confrontation of sin. Dude, you're hurting yourself. And and God's calling you to something that is going to be awesome, and I'm praying for you, and I'm longing for, look, I got my own world of mistakes and hurts as well. And I'm praying for you as you work through yours. This one, bro, it needs to go or it's going to devastate. Are you hearing the difference? 
You're right alongside of them in it, and you're calling them to an awesome God with a huge plan of restoration. Humility can confront sin, all right? Humility can call to holiness. And, uh, you can call to holiness because you're not calling to you. You're calling to God who is the author of holiness. Let's run after him. Wait, well, wait a minute. What about Paul? He said, follow me. Yeah, what did he follow it with? As I follow Christ. Huge deal. The author of holiness, the source of where we're headed is Jesus Christ himself. True humility can call to holiness, okay? Uh, false humility somehow allows all sin and all holiness to just continue. Sin runs rampant, holiness falling apart, and we put it under the label of humility. <clears throat> Bad answer, okay? That's not where God's going. And then the last one, true humility can still lead. You can lead from a position of humility. I don't know, man. I've seen it go wrong a lot. And uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to get prideful if you're running something, and you better be putting yourself in check a lot. And, uh, but true humility can lead. And I'll tell you, the best way to lead from humility is to keep pointing to the God over it all. That's a great place for an amen. And the best place to lead from humility is to point to the God over it all. Amen. And that's what we're talking about. You make much of your God. And you can lead and you can walk people towards holiness and you can wrestle with sin with them and you're never making much of you, you're making much of your God, all right? Biblical humility. And that says make sure we've got all of that like we do towards each other. Ephesians 5 talks about submitting yourself to one another, submitting yourself to one another. But hear me on this, it's a part of a bigger plan. It actually comes underneath, be filled with the Spirit. And then it explains how and it talks about singing and thanksgiving and submitting to one another. Did you know that if you're not submitting to one another, you can't be filled with the Spirit? Huh. If you're fighting with someone, can't be filled. If you're refusing to work things out with someone, there's something you're putting in check or quenching of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me on that? That's a big deal, man. God calls us very passionately to be working with one another and getting along well, all right? Okay, it says for, and uh, that means because, right? For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God stands against the one that wants to make much of himself. Everybody say, that's not good. You don't want to be in that spot, right? I'm trying to succeed, but... Well, the only one against me is God. Other than that, I, I'm pretty hopeful about this succeeding thing. I'm going to do it on my own in full pride. God's going to resist me, but we'll see what happens, right? And it's going nowhere, man. Be careful. Prideful approach to life, it ain't getting it done. Humble. Set yourself down. And make much of your God. All right. Hudson Taylor. Awesome missionary. He was speaking to thousands of people. He was sitting down in the chair. He was going to be introduced. And the guy introducing him began to say, Hudson Taylor is the speaker we're going to have tonight. This is a man who has gone to China. He has revolutionized missions. He has taken it to the streets in China. He has seen 
thousands upon thousands saved. God has worked powerfully through him as he's called many workers to task. Hudson Taylor has been used mightily of God. Let's welcome him now, the illustrious Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor comes up. He sets his papers on the podium. He looks down and he's quiet for a moment. And he says, my name is Hudson Taylor. And I am the servant of an illustrious master. Now let's talk about him. And the place erupted in applause. Humble. Whatever God's called you to, humble. You see your God and all that he is, and you worship him as the illustrious master of the universe, and nothing takes your eye off him. Humble. Humble towards one another, humble towards leadership, and we're going to talk about how all that comes together in the second point, okay? So, simple question for you. Uh, How are you doing? with this humility thing. Are you striving to be illustrious? Or are you striving to show your Savior off as illustrious? Time for us to care for the needs of those around us and humbly place their needs before ours. Okay? All right. Point number two. Second perspective God, trust God and his sovereign hand do not carry your load alone. Trust God and his sovereign hand do not carry your load alone. Okay? He says here, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, therefore. And when we see the therefore, we say, if you're visiting with us, it's true, that's what we say. What's the therefore, therefore? What's the purpose of that connecting word? What's it connecting back to? And notice the phrase right before it. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hmm. I wonder what I should do. Next line. Humble yourselves, therefore. Right? This is actually in the command form. Do this. The imperative form. Get this done. And in fact, it's in the passive form, like make sure this happens because part of humility is you letting God have a work in your life, all right? And uh, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And uh, under the mighty hand of God, he is sovereign. Okay, that's a big word. Do you know the word? It means every single thing runs through his hands. Nothing happens without God giving his approval in some way. It doesn't mean God says every single thing that's happening is good, but it does mean that he says in the midst of that happening, we're going to work good out of it to them that love him, to them that are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8. So God's sovereign hand, he makes things happen. Those are all the blessings in your life, right? Every good and perfect gift from, comes from, down from above, from the Father of lights. So he makes things happen. He allows some things to happen. Have you tasted some of those? When he allows something to touch you that would be less than favorable, and yet he's going to work something through it? Like maybe a brain surgery or something? Right? Have you been through anything? Like, he allows, 
And then he disallows, meaning we have no clue how many things he holds off from us. Job 1 calls it the hedge of protection, where God says, no, that will not touch my loved one. Not going to happen. Millions upon millions of events that could come down that God does not let happen. Worship your God alone for that hedge, if for nothing else. Man, do we have a protector. His name is Jesus Christ in the flesh and God Almighty. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, sovereign to the core. Every single thing that happens is in his hand. God has this under control. And it says, humble yourselves so that. And when you see the word so that, that's a purpose statement. Like, why should we be going after that? Check out what he says. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Wow. Like, it's actually appropriate to be considering what God might be doing and exalting. Be careful, though. We throw the words on here and then we start making things up. So that at the proper time, he might promote you at your job. So that at the proper time, I might get the most awesomest raise ever. So that at the proper time, he will make clear to everyone around me that I am not a doofus. Right? And we start thinking, boy, and all of a sudden we're making it all about the people. And that's not what he's talking about. It's talking about your relationship with him and your responsibilities with him. That he may exalt you with him as he raises you up into more responsibility with, it, with him. Sometimes that might be very visible to others and sometimes it might not. But it's about you and your God and a walk with him that he might be glorified. That he might be exalted as you're exalted. What a huge privilege we have. This is not the promise of an earthly exaltation, although for some it might end up that. So, let's not overcook the promise, but let's see that there is great joy in the fact that we can grow close to our God and He has unbelievable things for us that we can't even imagine. Can we all agree that being exalted at some level has good in it? Can we just agree with that? Whatever it is, in whichever way it comes down, that sounds pretty good, right? God's doing something in that and let's just not make it run to our pride now, right? And it's going to be all about me, thumbs down with that plan, all about Him and Him glorified. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you're going to be doing things in it. Okay. How? How do I go about humbling myself before God? Well, this passage actually says how. When you see ing words, those are how statements. It's always giving you a little bit more information about whatever the mainline action was, how to do it. Okay. Look at the ing word here. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him. The word anxiety in the original language, it means that which divides you inside. Did you know that? When you have anxiety, that's what's going on. I should want this, but I want this. And it chews at you. I, I, it should, but I, and, and the anxieties rise. It's a dividing within, okay? And uh, take those divisions within you and hand them over to God and say, Lord, I'm casting it on you. I'm giving this to you. You know what's right. 
and you know what's good, and you know what should happen. And so I'm trusting you. And, and you do whatever you need to do. Casting like it exits your hand and goes to him. Okay? Oftentimes we cast by, by doing this, where we hand it over and we hold on tight. And this is casting. And we're like, no, no, seriously, you need to be over here, God. You know what I mean? We're not really casting anything. We're controlling. And uh, be very careful. Hand it to him. Let him do what he sees fit to do. And uh, here's the thing. We will cast our stuff on God when we understand God best. All right? So let's just walk down this little triangle real quickly. Um, Why should I trust God with anything? Does he really even know what's best? Well, God knows everything. He knows everything. Okay, great. Well, at least he knows. But does he really have my best interest at hand? God not only knows everything, God is love. So now he's talking about your best and he knows everything. Great. So he knows everything. He has my best at hand. But can he really accomplish it? And God is all-powerful. See that triangle? That's when you'll cast your anxieties on him, when you see him as all-knowing, love, and all-powerful. When you truly get all that, it's going in his lap. And when you don't, you're going to be holding back. Which part do you not believe in in God? When you're not trusting him, when you're holding it to yourself, is it that he doesn't know? Is it that he's not love? Or is it that he can't accomplish it? Most often, it's that he's not love. I challenge that God is actually good. And uh, be careful as you walk through that. Really make sure you see your God for who he is. Notice what he says right at the end here. Because he cares for you. See what Paul's saying? Or Peter's saying here? What's he saying? I know that most of the time you're challenged with God is good. He cares for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he cares for you? I mean, do you really believe it? Like in the midst of the night when you're woken up wrestling with a problem and it's killing you thinking through it and you're worried about tomorrow, do you believe that God cares for you? And he's got your best in hand. All too often we can miss what God's all about and not get it. And our perceptions can be off. You know what I'm saying? So best illustration for this that I could come up with. Ready? Let's throw it up. (laughs) All right, let's just take a little vote. So what do you all have to say? Uh... Black and blue, raise your hand. Black and blue. All right. Gold and white. Y'all can fight afterwards, submit to one another well. All right, I looked up a little bit on what's going on with it, and I won't even go into all the details scientifically, but uh, I will just tell you that this is a massive stir right now. For those of you who don't get on the internet, this is a huge stir. Somebody took a photo and popped it up there, and it went viral in no time and hundreds of millions of people taking votes, and some see it as white and gold, and some see it as black and blue. It's the content of color in it and the cones in your eyes and how you process what hits those cones, okay? 
So all that going on, super complex, and so you get different answers off of it. My daughter, we didn't run into this, we didn't know about it, my daughter Megan on Thursday, was it? Sent us a text and was like, this is white and gold, what do you see? She sent it to us, she's an art major. We're like, we need to get her out of school. <laughs> that is clearly black and blue. How has she been coloring things and getting the right answer? We didn't know what we were talking about, so I went and looked a couple things up and in no time ran into the whole thing that's going on. And so there is some element of gold in this and there is some element of white in this and there is element of black and there is element of blue. And so it's somewhat how your eye processes, which colors are you seeing, okay? And uh, I'm telling you, this is how it goes with God on a lot of stuff. Is God loving or not? Yes, loving, maybe not. You should see what he did in my life. Hands start voting all over the place, and our perception affects how we trust, all right? Make sure you get your perception of God from what the Word says about who God is, and you adjust to that, okay? Photoshop says black and blue. Just telling you. For all you white and gold people, there is white and gold in it, I'll give you that, but it does say more black and blue, all right? I'm only saying that because I see black and blue, so whatever. <laughs> All right, enough said. How's your perspective of God? Are you humbling under him? Are you trusting him? Are you letting God lead? God, and then let's go back to point number one. First, submit to God, humbling to him, then to his leadership that he places, eldership, and then to those around you. You hearing all of it? Humble, humble, humble. It starts from God down, and it works through. Hear me on this one. I'm just going to say this very directly. There is no rebelling against the boss above you or the person or leader above you and saying you're good with God. It doesn't exist. You rebelling against the authorities he's put in place is rebelling against God. Okay? So check yourself. Your perceptions are off. And, well, I wouldn't do it that way if. Well, but you're not in that position. And God's placed them there, Romans 13. So you trust those leaders and you move with them and you pray for them and you long for them to see things correctly and you submit well along the way. And when there's sin, multiple witnesses and you can confront, right? Let's put our arms all the way around this whole picture. Humble submission to our God that he might be glorified, all right? Point number three, third perspective, the devil. In full submission to God, resist the devil's press on your soul. In full submission to God, resist the devil's press on your soul. There is submission and humility called for all through this passage, but at this point, all submission stops. There is no submission to Satan, to the devil, to demonic forces, to dark forces, however you want me to say this, there is no submission there at all. There is a standing against, all right? Our submission is to God, to his leadership, and to those around us. It is not to the dark forces, okay? Now let's walk through it. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Sober. Like we've heard that word before, right, in our society. The opposite of sober is 
drunk, right, impaired, uh, we can't quite see right, we may not be able to walk right, we can't identify correctly, right? Don't be that, be sober-minded, clear in your seeing, clear in your vision, watchful, making sure you are keeping an eye out, right? You're not uh, closed to what's going on. Please be careful. This passage does not mean start looking in every shadow for the darkness to be affecting you. But at the same time, it does mean be very aware of elevated pressures and stresses and anxieties and lies and deceptions and watch out, you're being played with. This game called worship, and if he can't have your soul, he'll at least toy with your worship. That's the game, all right? Be watchful. It says, your adversary, the devil... Literally, the word adversary means uh, the legal counsel standing against you as prosecuting attorney. Adversary. He's standing in the courts before God going, this one is guilty. I've got proof. Right? Good news, though, your defense attorney is Jesus Christ, 1 John 2. And he says, that sin is covered, your honor. I object. Are you hearing it? That's what's going on for you on a regular basis. And as you sin, that's what's taking place. High accusation. Notice now it says your adversary, this legal counsel standing against you, the devil, the word devil there, literally it's the word diabolos, right? Diabolical. You hear that word coming from it? It means liar, accuser, deceiver, or twister of words. The one coming after you takes truth and twists it. Know that. His goal is to go after and twist anything good or right into something broken and misaligned. And that's him. Liar. He's accusing you and he's lying to you. And it says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. All right, whatever that means, that doesn't sound good, right? And uh, we can walk through this a bit. I'm going to spend just a moment of time on this here. Um, there's a lot of things we don't know, and there's some things we do know. Prowls around like a roaring lion. So I looked a little bit of this up, and lions roar at multiple times, right? Sometimes they roar after the kill, when they've taken down whatever they're eating, and they roar. And, uh, but this one is seeking to devour, and the other time they roar is before they go out for the hunt. They will literally rally together and they will start roaring thunderous roars across the open plain and it puts shivers into the animals, into the human beings. They're announcing, we're coming for you. And then they go out. It prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And uh, his goal is to take those who don't trust in Jesus Christ and keep them from ever hearing of Christ. His goal is destruction of the soul. His goal is for those who do trust in Christ to mess up their worship in any way possible and hopefully for as long as they're here on earth, period. To make you ineffective for the kingdom, period. Devour. All right? And... Uh, well, who does he get to devour? So I just wrote this down. It requires two things. It requires your permission. Did you know that? 
If you trust in Jesus Christ, it requires your permission and God's permission or nothing happens. All right? So we'll get to God's permission in a second. Your permission. How do I give permission and why would I be such a fool? Who asked me if they could devour me and I said yes. Okay, here's how it comes down. We give permission when our guard is down. He just said, be sober-minded and be watchful. When you're not that, problem. When our guard is down, we're giving permission. We give permission when our pride is up. When our guard is down, when our pride is up. When we're walking around like, I am awesome. I should be recognized more. They should get who I am and they should grasp more of and Where's the accolade for me? And uh, you all, you are petty and, and I'm, right? And as we begin to walk around with this prideful arrogance, you've just given foothold. Satan celebrates pride. God celebrates humility. In fact, he even modeled it himself, Jesus Christ, Philippians 2. Humility is God's language. Pride is Satan's language. What do you call a collection of lions when they gather together? Pride. I don't know what those connected at all. It's just weird. Uh, another way I give permission. Whose sin is unconfessed. Unconfessed sin gives foothold for Satan to move in whatever way. I want to be careful when I use that. Satan is one being, one created being. He cannot be present in all places. There are dark forces, there are multiple demons. I don't even want to get into all these details right now. But just know this, there is a force of darkness and they move. And it does allow a foothold when we're willing to stand on our sin and go, I will not get off of this. This is where I stand. And in fact, what often happens with people in sin is they start going like this. Fine, I'm holding on to the sin. But I can't let others know. Now I'll go back and I'll, I'll start doctoring the outside and make it look different. And now we're right back to the humility problem, right? The number one motivation for beginning to make a facade outside look different is because we won't deal with the sin inside, okay? And be careful with that. We uh, open ourselves up when our guard is down, when our pride is up, and when sin is unconfessed. That's when we give permission. God gives permission as he's going to allow something to happen in a moment, remember the allowing sovereign hand of God, as he's going to open up and allow something to happen in the moment to work something. God's doing something. He never allows a touch from the dark side to you. If you trust in Christ as your Savior, hear me now, if you trust in Christ as your Savior, never opens up his hand to allow the dark forces to touch without some level of teaching you, growing you, and shaping you. We'll see it in just a second. God's going to bring it up. Okay, God's got a plan. So what do we do? It says, resist him. Please don't misread this passage. It starts with verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Then resist him. See, all too often people are like, you just need to stand up against Satan, man, and he'll run from you. Dude, newsflash. He ain't running from you. Right? He's not running from you. We stand up with our little spindly arms and our little effort at workout, and we're like, oh, get out of here. <laughs> and Satan's like, really? But when you've humbled yourself before the Almighty God and He's standing with you, 
God standing behind you going, that's right. That's as big as I can get. That's all I got. That's right. And Satan's moving away from that. The forces of God and his truth and his love and his glory as he expresses his manifest presence in, around, and through your life. As he says, this one is mine and I will absolutely not allow a thing. And then you stand up and go, that's right. And he moves away from that. Are you hearing me? You humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You do not toy with playing against darkness all on your own. And we are but a created being, and that is it. But the God of the universe standing behind you, you have nothing to worry about. Everybody say, I have nothing to worry about. You trust in Christ. You humble yourself before him. Nothing to worry about. Humble yourself and resist. And he will flee. James 4, 7. In fact, this passage mirrors it exactly. It says, humble and resist. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee, right? James 4, 7 is a great secondary passage to this. So what are we resisting? What's Satan bringing? Uh, Satan is bringing in three darts, and I'm just going to go through them real quickly here. Deception. You know, that's where it's a either an all-out lie or maybe a plausible lie or maybe a partial. Deception. He's twisting, right? And uh, think of Eve on that one. He's talking to Adam and Eve, right? He's talking to Eve and he whispers to her and what does he say? Oh, you're going to know the difference in good and evil. Was he lying? Was he lying? He wasn't lying, was he? He was omitting a lot. Oh, I forgot to tell you, though, the way you'll know is absolute destruction of the soul for the rest of eternity. Now you know because you've tasted of evil yourself, and from now on you will have an inner battle that will eat you alive until the end of this physical world. Oop, forgot to tell you that. Right? Omission, partial truth. It's pit of hell. Be very careful. And deception, he's big on it. Accusation. How do I know when someone is being uh, played, when they're being oppressed, if you want to use that word? I hate to use words that actually have meanings out there in other thinkings, but when there's some sort of dark pressure on, how do I know they're saying words like this? I should never have done this. I, I shouldn't be in this position of, of responsibility. I, I, I don't belong as sa saved. I, God shouldn't have saved me. I, right? Are you hearing it? This absolute extreme statement of, I should just quit everything. I'm no good at anything. Are you hearing it? When the extreme statements start coming out, there's accusation being whispered into the ear. Doesn't mean sin doesn't need to be confessed. Absolutely get it confessed. But be careful. Keep it in perspective. But I have a God who forgives. I have a God who heals. I have a God who knew exactly where I was going to be tomorrow and saved me, and he will work with me. That's my king. And all of God's people said, man, that's where we go with it. And then the last one he brings, deceit, accusation, doubt. You can't trust God. You can't trust him. Right? Doubt statements. You can't trust your friends. You can't trust that leadership. How can you trust them? Whispers from the pit of hell to do the very thing that's opposite to what you're called. 
be careful. Those are the darts. We stand against them. Uh Uh-uh. Whole truth or nothing. Right? I resist that. Here's what I know to be true. I'm going to quote this. I'm not going to quote what I feel right at the moment. I'm not standing in on that accusation. I'm not going to doubt my God. I'm not going to doubt. Right? Stand strong. Humble first, stand strong. It says, firm in your faith. In other words, you've got a strong faith. You understand what's going on. He's going to allow you to be challenged only as much as you can handle, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Make sure you're careful of that and uh, allow your faith to be growing in it. It says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the biggest lies you're going to hear. It's just you. You're the only one struggling like this. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Some of you in this room right now are buying into that huge. Down with that lie. Scripture says very clearly, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, I love that. (laughs) Dang. Seriously? Why couldn't it have said, and after you don't suffer at all and he is kicked out? Wouldn't that be better? And after you have suffered a little while, God's got plan. He's going to walk us through. There will be a season where he allows this darkness to touch, this challenge to touch. And what's the purpose behind it? Notice it says, he who is uh, this God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ with, by, with himself, God himself doing this now, not angels, not anybody. This is God himself with you. It says, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's growing you. He does allow some of this to happen. He calls us to humble with him and stand strong, and he will grow us through it. Restoring. Yeah, it's triage. There's some wounds taken. Restoring. And don't shake your fist at God when you need a little restoring going on. That's part of the plan. Confirm. God going, that's right, that's who I am. And that's right, that's who they are. You don't trust that dark lie. You trust me and confirm, strengthen, and establish, setting up the foundation, getting you ready for the next battle. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all of God's people said, may our God rule. Our God is great. Our God is awesome. Our God has a plan. Our God is moving in this universe and nothing will hold him back. There is no whisper from the pit of hell. There is nothing that can stop us. The plan called humility, where we humble under God, we humble to his leadership, we humble to those around us, and we let God move. Your life will be rocked as you submit to your God, to your leadership, to one another. Our God is great. And all of God's people said, let's pray.